Good morning. It's barely morning. Yeah. March 22. Proverbs 22. I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, we get some parenting in here. You know I love to talk about parenting. Uh, I love kids. Kids make me so happy. And the, you know, my mom had me, started teaching me to utilize my giftings when I was four. She put a mic in my hand. And um, she, I was naturally a shy child. And I still an introvert and so I still deal with some insecurities when it comes to crowds but my mother did such a great job of uh, of working me out of and through that so that I could enjoy truly enjoy um, leader leadership working for people, doing, um, leading crowds. Yeah. So I, I love the possibilities of children. Um, and it makes me so sad when, when people don't recognize that through their guidance, that child could be, become such a self-fulfilled person. But they don't become a self-fulfilled person by by a parent giving in to all of their insecurities in their childhood. A parent's got to train them through that childhood and then the child becomes self-fulfilled. At, at least that's my experience. That's my experience as a child with very purposeful parents and then as a parent being very purposeful with my children. So I love talking about parenting because um, I just it's just such a joy to me. Uh, let's see where can where should we start? Um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, Proverbs twenty two. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. <sighs> a good name. <laughs> So I'm going to talk later about building your wealth. This this concept right here of great riches, this is talking about get rich quick. And people who will get rich quick will step on whoever they have to to get there. Actually building your wealth is your name is part of your wealth. Your wealth is more than the money you have in the bank. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. So a good name. And the reason why we're going to get into training up a child over here. Where is it? Right here. Verse six. We're going to get into training up a child. And part of that is teaching your children to honor and respect their reputation and their name. A good name 
And so as you are building your wealth, which includes your reputation, it includes your bank account, it includes getting out of debt, it includes a lot, but your name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. If you see value in how people see you, your name, and if you see value in loving favor, then when you recognize that within your community, your church family, your neighborhood, you've got a good name and loving favor, it doesn't matter that you don't have money. An example of that is my grandmother, um, Nellie Butler, my mother's mother. They were very poor. Back then, um, welfare was, they didn't have food stamps. It was pre-food stamps. Now it's EBT. But um, when I was a kid, it was called food stamps. And then it was something even different than that when my mother was a kid. And it was, oh man, I can't think of what she called it. But, you know, you got powdered eggs and you got, um, you know, a certain kind of cheese and powdered milk. I can't think of what that was called. Whoever is that in that generation that remembers what that's called, you can put it in the comments. But so that's what that's how my my mom grew up. That was my grandmother's living. She worked in canneries and they were very poor. My grandmother had 14 children and they were just very poor. And so that was how they functioned. But in that neighborhood, when anybody got sick, they would say, go get Nellie to pray. And so they'd come to my grandma's house and they would ask Nellie Butler. The, the neighborhood was mostly, mostly um, Catholic. And, but they would go get my grandma and my grandma would go over there and pray. My grandmother had a good name within the whole neighborhood. And that good name was rather to be chosen than great riches. And that favor that they gave my grandmother was more important than the silver and the gold. And I'm going to extend an even greater uh, insight to that. My grandmother, her children were hoodlums. <laughs> My mother herself was in juvie. My mom got the Holy Ghost when she was 12 years old. So before the age of 12 years old, my mother had already spent time in juvenile hall. And my mother had already been in lockdown in juvenile hall. So my grandmother did not have much control over her children. And um, at one point, she, she went before a judge on behalf of her son. Okay, we're talking about a good name being valuable. It's greater than riches. A good name has loving favor. It's, it, loving favor is, is more valuable than silver and gold. My grandmother went before that judge and asked the judge if he would entrust, basically um, be on, uh, oh, oh goodness, what do you call it when you're incarcerated at home? Anyway, that, if he would just trust her to keep him at home. And somehow that judge had heard through the schooling system what a great woman my grandmother was. And he said, Mrs. Butler, 
I would not do this for anybody else, but I trust that you are a praying woman and I'm going to let you take him home. Is that not crazy? So when I talk about building our wealth, I I don't mean just what we have in the bank account, although I don't know if I'm going to get into it today. I know I've thought of it when I was going through these verses, but about, you know, living within your means and not going into debt and so forth. But for sure, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It's a good name. A good reputation is going to get you further than money will get you. My grandma Butler taught me that just by her own life. So the rich and the poor meet together. This is interesting. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, first of all, this is talking about how the Lord does not see rich or poor as one being better than another. That That's why God is not so concerned with whether or not we are rich or poor. We get to choose how diligent we're going to be with our money. We get to choose how hardworking we're going to be, how much of a saver or a spender we are going to be. We get to choose those things and we get to dig ourselves out of debt. We get to choose those things. The Lord does not walk around with a a rich wand, bibbity bobbity boo, you're rich. And, and, uh, oh, I'm cursing you. You're poor. <laughs> we kind of see being poor as being a curse, but we, we should, um, I'm going to talk about this in just a minute. We should not be frustrated at the Lord, whether or not we are rich or we are poor. We should make very, um, purposeful choices to do the best that we can. The Lord does not see one greater than the other. Okay. The rich and the poor meet together. Now, I'm going to tell you that in my estimation, when I look at my bank account, I'm going to put myself in the poor category. (laughs) I try to dress my best when I go out. Um, What I have, my home, I have a house. There are people who do not own a house. And so in that regard, I'm going to put myself in the rich category. I feel like I am blessed abundantly. But when people look at me and automatically think I have a lot of money, um, I want to put out the idea that people, the longer they are in one place with roots and work the same job for decade after decade, they tend to have more than people who move often. We live in a culture that has created the idea that I can uproot and move to another state, to another city, to this, to that. And, and, uh, and you can, there's nothing wrong with it. You can, it's the American culture that has provided this way of thinking. But what I have, what I have, and I'm, I'm not, I'm just trying to point out, um, that I feel like I'm poor. My, if you looked at my bank account, I feel like I'm poor. But if you looked at what I live in and what I possess, this is the outcome of living on the same property that I have lived on since I was nine years old. I live in the same town I was born in. Um, I have one credit card that I constantly 
pay off. It is does not have a limitless credit. Um, I, I live within my means is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not bought and sold and bought and sold and moved and moved. And I don't, I've, I'm trying to think. I, I don't think I, I don't think I have ever bought brand new furniture. I, I, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I bought two chairs from Walmart within the last five years that were Black Friday, the cheapest little recliners. They are, they were very tiny. Matteo looked, they looked like toys when Matteo sat on them. They were super small. I'm just trying to point out the insignificance of them. All of the other furniture that I have ever had in my house has been used, has been given to me, or I bought it used from Goodwill or from thrift stores or from whatever. I just live within my means. And I'm in the same house that um, I moved into when I was 20 years old. I'm now almost 50. And I'm just pointing out that that the nature of choosing perhaps a boredom, a boring life <laughs> puts you with more. It just puts you in a different place than people who have, who have transplanted often and who have purchased new, new furniture, new, new cars. Um, I think I've owned, I think I've bought a new car once. Um, I've, I've, I, yeah, anyway, I have been blessed. I will say many things have been given to me outside of my means, but my choices have been to stay put. And so it's put me in a position that's kind of an, an old fashioned way of thinking. Um, you know, I, I hope to give my home to my children and grandchildren one day, and it's the same home that I've lived in since I was 20 years old. So that's an old-fashioned American, you know, that's like pioneer days kind of thinking. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I would encourage people, if you can do that, try to do that more often. I, I have found um, there there was a season in my life, about about 10 years of my life, that I desperately wanted to move. And I'm not going to get into that right now, but I hated, hated, hated my house, hated my town. The only thing that kept me here was because I made a vow to God that I would not move unless my leadership of my church felt it was in the best interest of myself, my children, or the congregation that I move because it was a really awkward situation that I was in. But I vowed to the Lord, I wanted to leave desperately. <laughs> I had several job offers and I wanted to take them so badly. But I had promised the Lord I wouldn't move unless those situations that I just said came up. And they didn't, so I stayed here. And now it's been about 12 years, maybe 14 years, and I'm so grateful so when you look at my bank account, I, I fall in the poor category. But when you look at um, my reputation, the people that I have as friends, um, the people who love me, uh, the house you know that I still live in, I am rich beyond measure. <laughs> I thank the Lord for his work and his way. Oh, he is so good. Oh, I just love the Lord. And so... Going in line with that, 
I feel in, in one sense, I feel like I'm a poor person. If, if you were looking at my, at my value compared to uh, the charts of the country, I would fall in the poor category, but I feel rich. And so I have, because I'm very confident in my self-worth, um, I, I meet with rich and poor people and I, I am very, uh, empowered. <laughs> I can, I can sit at a table with a president. I've, I've learned my manners. I do prioritize etiquette. I tell people all the time, you need to know which fork and spoon and knife to use at those fancy tables because you need to plan on sitting with presidents and kings and knowing how to conduct yourself in those situations. I can put on a costume and sit with, with the president <laughs> by costume. I mean, I could put on, on fancy looking clothes, even though I prefer to be barefoot and I'm sitting in my moo moo as I, as I, as I display the word of God, I am in my moo moo, <laughs> but I, I could absolutely sit down with presidents and, and Kings and, and feel very comfortable and confident. Um, because the, the Lord is in control. That's why I could do that. I've been given that confidence. And First Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Luke 12, 15, Matthew 6, 33. Make note of those and go read those. They just talk about the power of being content with who you are and what you have. And that's what my parents trained me to be and do. And we're going to talk about training in a minute. But that's a powerful place to be in. It's a powerful place to to be when you are, when you understand that you're in the Lord's will, the Lord is the maker of them all. And the poor, the rich and poor, they, one is not better than the other. One is not better than the other. So be, be confident, learn some things, put yourself in a place where you can have a conversation and not sound like a whack job and, and have a, you know, a good vocabulary. Um, put yourself in a place where, where you're comfortable talking with the rich and the poor, rich and the poor. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say he that winneth souls is wise and you become all things to all men that by all means you might win some. That means you need to be comfortable with the rich and the poor. Okay, let's move on. Um, oh, okay. Verse seven. Let's talk about verse seven since we're in here. The rich ruleth over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, this is just saying what is the natural occurrence of life. It doesn't say it has to be this. You have to be this way. But this is saying this is what happens. If you borrow money, if you borrow from a credit card company, if you borrow from a bank, if you borrow from a friend, if you borrow money, you are the servant to that person. You are, you owe that person and you are the servant to that person until you pay it back. And because the rich rules over the poor. Now, this doesn't mean that, that the rich should be a jerk, but it just is the outcome because the, those who have, um, built their wealth, those who have taken the time, who have done the hard thing to purchase properties, to, um, to, you know, invest their money wisely. Um, well, they're going to be the ones owning the house that the renter is borrowing from. 
And that's why it says the rich ruleth over the poor. And this certainly is not giving people who have um, the advantage of having more in life to be ugly to people who do not. Um, it's just saying this is the natural outcome. Um, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And therefore, build your wealth. And you do that by living within your means. By the same way, um, when the food is gone, the food is gone. And when time is gone, time is gone. When money is gone, money is gone. And so the same way you can become the master of your time if you sit down and plot out the day. You can become the master of your food if you sit down and plan out what meals are being served when. You can do that with money. It. I encourage you to... to um, Here's some, some studies by um, Dave Ramsey. He is very encouraging and enlightening about building your wealth. Um, he is, anyway, build your wealth, figure out a way, read Proverbs 31 and, and see how hard that woman works. Build your wealth. There is nothing in the Bible that indicates you should be um poor. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money. And if you build your wealth, then you are the one. Think about this. If you build your wealth and you invest in properties, you get to be the rich who is renting to the poor. Okay. And that means you get to be the nice rich person renting to the poor. Wouldn't you like to be that person? You can be, but we cannot become a person who has multiple properties and who can care for the poor, who can feed the poor. Listen, there's a, I can't, this is so funny. This is a, a I'm about to quote a verse that I, I made into a sort of rhythm kind of thing when my kids were little. And I remember it, but I can't remember the reference. But here it is. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. That's a scripture in the New Testament. It, it sounds like a mother goose kind of thing. So I, I memorized it that way. Let him, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. If you have to give to him that needeth, then you get to be a rich person in this world being good. Okay? Being good. And um, let's see, there's actually another verse that kind of goes, oh, here we go. Verse nine, he that hath a bountiful eye, bountiful eye, this word bountiful means kind, good, and pleasant. If you have built your own wealth, if you have built your own wealth and you've got a kind eye, you're going to be blessed. And this word blessed, it's so funny. The word blessed in our English word, we, we define it as different things. And 
depending on, on what we're thinking about. This word blessed, a lot of times in the Old Testament, the word blessed means happy. This word blessed means adored. Isn't that cool? He that hath a bountiful eye, a kind, good, pleasant eye, shall be adored, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. I'm I'm telling us as women, I don't care if you're 14, 17, 20, 30, 45, 60, 65, put yourself in a position that you have to give to him that needeth. That you have to give that to him that needeth. Okay, so let's see. Is there anything else down in that? Um, let me... Um, point out 17 and 18. These two verses go together and I feel like they are um, talking about hearing um, the elderly because it says, bow down thine ear and hear the words of the wise. Um, because it says, bow down thine ear, I, I picture that to mean um, the elders who are not necessarily up walking around all the time. They might sit more or they may be lying down in a bed. Bow, take the time to hear the elders. Bow down your ear and hear them and apply your heart to their knowledge. It's pleasant if you keep them within you. All these wise things that our elders have to say, for they shall with all be fitted to thy lips. If you take time to bow down and listen to those that are not upright, not hustling about, around to and fro, but they've got wisdom from their years, then that wisdom is going to be within you and you're going to be able to speak of that wisdom in time to come. To that regard, let me point out verse 28, and then I'm going to end with talking about um, tra training up a child, tr child training. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Oh, this is such a powerful understanding. You know, as I have, I am a very creative person. And so I, especially when I was younger, I spent a lot of time um I spent a lot of time uh, creating things. I created vacation Bible schools. I created a vacation Bible school um, that was a lot of fun. Um, it it was instead of um, let me see how to say it quickly. Children rotated classes, so I didn't go to public school. Um, I went to private school and we sat in the same class all day, every day. And so I found it very intriguing to think about a bell ringing and kids getting up and transitioning to a different classroom. Um, and so when I created a vacation Bible school, um, I did that. And I had the kids move around. They would spend only a certain amount of time in each classroom. And the teacher, instead of having to... Um, learn multiple topics, you know, like instead of the teacher having to have a craft ready for a certain portion of their vacation Bible school time and then have a, a lesson ready and then have 
you know, a snack ready and, you know, everything that you would have to do if you had a group of kids for three hours of vacation Bible school time or two hours or whatever it was. I had one teacher who just had to be responsible for one thing. And then the kids rotated around. So the kids who have a lot of pent up energy got to get that energy put taken out of them by rotating classes. They got to see a new face all the time. Um, anyway, so I, I've always been very creative. Um, you know, uh, when I created Hadassah, which was a conference for girls, I was just always very out of the box. I got the idea from the Esther conference in Virginia that Sister Linville created. And then I just kind of twisted it based on vacation Bible schools I had created in the past. And anyway, I'm a very creative person. So as a creative person, I learned sometimes the hard way not to remove the ancient landmarks, <laughs> because here's the thing. First of all, the landmarks have been set there for a purpose. There's another saying that says, don't move a fence until you know why it was put there. Um, and you can, in your creative, in your creativity as a young person coming into ministry, or certainly when it comes to holiness, when it comes to the things that are doctrinal, don't move those. They were there for a reason. Don't move those. When it comes to less important things like, uh, you know, uh, modern technologies or scheduling a choir practice or uh, now I'm thinking of things that I've done, rules for being in a choir, uh, things like that. Don't, don't just start moving things in a ministry of a church just because you have the power to do it. You need to talk to whoever was overseeing it and find out why, why did you set this rule? Why did you do that? There are reasons why. Um, seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before Kings. And this goes in keeping with verse 11. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the, the King shall be his friend. Super cool. I love this whole chapter, but I'm going to end right here with training up a child. Um, Verse six, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, um, and verse 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. So first of all, the word train um, does involve <laughs> correction and training and the rod of correction. Okay. The word train and train up a child in verse six. Let me sit better so I can see in my camera here. And just kind of laid back in this chair. So this word train, train up a child in verse six, is does include in verse 15 the rod of correction. All right. We've you'll go back and look at one of my other uh one of my other recordings where I talk about the rod of correction. Train up a child. The word train literally means dedicate, make experienced, and then to narrow. So when you train up a child, the way that occurs is not by listening to all of the child's ideas and choices. That is a very modern, um, uh, psychological 
concept by psychological. I'm thinking about a psychologist's concept of, you know, well, I, I need to see what my child is wanting. You need to teach the child what to want. As the parent, you have this power to teach your child what to want. Now, because we've got so many people in our current culture who did not have parents who trained them up, they had parents who either got frustrated and hauled off and smacked them across the room, which is abuse, or they had parents who never spent time with them, never loved them properly. Um, they didn't spend enough time with them. Uh, and, and so you've got parents who the only guidance they have to being parents is um, listening to a modern psychologist's idea that is likely extremely worldly, has nothing to do with the ways of God and the and ancient ways of scripture, nothing to do with it. And I'm telling you, as a child, as a human who was trained, and as a mother who did train, that the way you train up a child goes right here. First of all, you dedicate a lot of time. You dedicate a lot of time. Now, if you are, if you cannot be for financial reasons, a stay at home mom, then you're going to have to dedicate your time at a different time than the hours that, that you are at work. Um, unfortunately, there is a going to be a little more than a decade of time that while you work your job and you also, uh oh, I forgot a D in here. No, I didn't. There's going to be about a decade of time that you are working your job and when you come home exhausted, you can't just lay out. You've got to spend this time. Now you've got to do your home job, which is dedicate time to training your child. And you've got to do that in these two ways. Make that child experienced. Now, how do you make a child experienced? When I was raising Morgan and Madison, I discovered an amazing book by Mike and Debbie Pearl, and it was called To Train Up a Child. Now, um, you, you don't have to agree with the whole book to, to understand that the con, the basic idea of it works. And for me, that was, um, setting aside time to, uh, they called it instead of boot camp, like a, like a soldier goes to boot camp to be trained, to be retrained. A soldier goes to boot camp to be retrained how they need you to be a soldier. So you, we call the book called it booty camp because the child wears little booties on their feet. Booty camp, uh, not backside booty, but I guess that would apply. <laughs> so as soon as a child is old enough to make choices, you make them experienced. You create an environment where they start learning to make choices and you can make it a game. Get some. You're not allowed to have this. 
You are allowed to have this. Here's the toy that you know they like, and you're not allowed to have this. And you put them both down, and you just sit there. You just sit there and wait for the child to make their choice. And when they choose this, you say, yay, mama baby, you're so good. Look at dad, good job. And when the child chooses this, you say, no, no. And there's a chance that just your voice will cause them to withdraw. Uh, if you were Madison, that would be your response. <laughs> Madison was very good at, at reading the room. <laughs> oh, mom's face, mom's voice, everything about that. Madison would be like, oh, my bad. Okay, I have this because this brings the good voice that I like. Morgan, no. Morgan would be like, eh, thank you. And I would say, no. You can have this. And she would say, <laughs> and I would sit there for however long it took before she did not touch this and she would only take this. And you can broaden that training as much as you want. You can add more toys that they enjoy playing with, play with them, you know, like these are, like these are their little dolls and, and, and this is what they're not allowed to have. Do, 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 do you, mommy loves this baby. Do, 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 do you. you make this fun, make it enjoyable, make them want to choose this and make them not want to choose this. Uh, Morgan, <laughs> there were toothbrushes that, you know, those toothbrush holders that you put on the wall and it's got the holes where the toothbrush sits through it like that. And the bottom of it is dangling out underneath. I discovered that Morgan was reaching her little tiny toddler hand up. I'll do it this way. And pulling those bristles right through that hole. And that little girl was just being so thoughtful and hygienic about her mouth. She was just dipping that toothbrush in the toilet and brushing her teeth. I'm like, how am I heard? I'm freaking out, throwing away the toothbrushes supplying us with new toothbrushes and that girl kept stealing our toothbrushes and dipping them in the toilet, brushing her teeth. And so her dad set up booty camp. He put that toothbrush in the middle of the floor and all her little toys and Morgan wanted a toothbrush. He said, no, no, you cannot have this. And um, by the time that booty camp session was finished, that little girl was crawling way around the toothbrush. She wanted nothing to do with that toothbrush <laughs> because her dad finally convinced her it was not worth it. Um, and then I had to do, we had to do the same thing with Maddie's hearing aids. Madison started wearing electronic devices called hearing aids on his ears when he was two years old. Well, a two-year-old pulls at whatever is on their body that they want off. And I could not afford, I literally, literally could not afford. Those, those hearing aids were over $2,000 per hearing aid. Per hearing aid. We had to entrust a two-year-old to crawl around, walk around, play outside in the dirt, play inside with his toys with $4,000 worth of equipment on his little ears. He had to learn not to touch the unwanted thing. 
And uh, yeah, it was a painful training session for us. It was very painful. Here we were already dealing with the child that was deaf. And that's painful for a parent. And then training the child, no, you cannot touch them. Madison was so trained when he wanted his hearing aids off, he would come to us and sign up, up. And he wasn't speaking because he, he was deaf. He couldn't learn to speak. And so he just signed off, off. And we knew he wanted to break from his hearing aids. So we would take his hearing aids off for him. You can train a child before they are talking what they need. You train the child. The child does not train you. I'm telling you, refuse this world's way of, of parenting. Go to the ancient paths. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Do this. All right, so you got to dedicate a lot of time, hours upon hours for many, many years. It's not just a day. It's not just a weekend. It's every day of their life you are dedicated to making them experienced. If you're going to make them experienced, that means you're not going to wait around for life to bring something to them. You're going to train them before they get in the scenario. That's what they do with soldiers. Let me tell you right now, the reason that you train a dog to obey you, to come when you're called, is so that the dog catcher doesn't catch them. So that they don't run into another person's yard and get, get in a fight with the neighbor's dog. You make them experienced. We, here's another way we would train Morgan and Madison. We would um, go for a walk and we would make it like a game. We would say, when, when I say stop, you stop. Or when I say come here, you come here. And um, if, if um, you know, they, if they ran ahead and stopped, yay, good job. If they ran ahead and didn't stop, we'd go up and we would, swat their leg or there's other things you can do. We actually didn't spank them often in public because it made other people nervous and we weren't about making other people nervous, but we, um, we would, you know, if, if they had a, a treat, then they could have the treat. You could fill their, their pockets with goldfish crackers. And when they obeyed you and stopped, they got to eat a goldfish cracker or when they obeyed you and stopped or ran back to you, um, you could, uh, you, do a silly thing. I, I mean, make a, make a treat, whatever you want to make it. But what we did was we made, we had Morgan and Madison, you run up on a head and we would say, stop kind of like you do musical chairs at times that they weren't expecting it. And if they stop and if they came back, when we said they got a reward, if they did not, they got a punishment. That punishment could be a SWAT or it could be, um, you know, uh, not, having the treat that they want, what, whatever you need to do, whatever you feel comfortable doing. Um, and the purpose of that was because when we were walking in a parking lot and we said, stop, I needed my kid to stop. I needed them to be in a habit that they stopped dead in their tracks because I could see a car that was backing out 
or I could see a car that was coming that a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old can't see. They're not paying attention. You make them experience before they get in those scenarios. It was for their safety. And so anyway, that was, that, that's how you make, make somebody experiences you you go and play games with them you have to dedicate time years <laughs> and then the next thing is to narrow that's what train up a child means to narrow down their choices <laughs> your child should not have everything they want everything they feel they want every no you narrow it down Jesus said, straight is the way that leads to life. We, ha we always use that verse to mean eternal life, like straight is the way that leads to um, heaven. And, and that is the case. That is true. But he said that leads to life. And that word life, if you were watching this back when we were studying Matthew, that word life means vitality. Joel, the abundance of life, living a good life. So the way to living a life of vitality is you narrow down what they're allowed to have and do. Narrow it down. Um, I've got so many make experience scenarios that I would love to give. Let me tell you why you want to do this. It's not just so when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is, that is what we want. But it's not just because of that. It's because the opposite of a trained child is a foolish child. Your child is born with foolishness locked, bound in their heart. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction drives it far from him. The rod of correction. Now, I am all for spanking. Go, go watch my other recording to see what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about beating. I'm not talking about smacking a child out of your frustration and anger. But correction does feel like a rod. And so whatever, however you've, whatever you've got to do to correct that child, to make sure that child is doing exactly what you say to do, exactly when you say to do it, exactly what you say and exactly when you say, that's what the rod of correction is. And your child needs it because look at this, look what foolishness is. Psalms 38, five, my wounds stink. And are corrupt because of my foolishness. You don't want this to be the, the words of your child. Not your child as a seven-year-old. Not your child as a 17-year-old. Not your child as a 40-year-old. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. But foolishness is bound in the heart of your child. Proverbs 5.23, he shall die without instruction. In the greatness of his folly, this word folly is foolishness, he shall go astray. You don't want this to be the, the case of your child when they're 16, when they're 35. But foolishness is bound in the heart of your child. The foolishness of a man perverteth his way and his heart Fretteth against the Lord. 
You do not want this to be your child. Not when they're six, not when they're 12, not when they're 50, but they will be if you do not use the rod of correction and drive it far from him. This was one of my greatest motivations and inspirations for spending all those years and days and hours dedicating my time to making my child experience before they even got in those scenarios and to narrow down their choices. And it's why I did the very difficult, painful thing of using a rod of correction to drive it far from him because I did not want this to be who my child was. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I love you. Have a good day.